Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Anyone else still feel like they're recovering? Yes. I need a weekend after that weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I need like, yeah, just two days with nothing happening. Literally nothing. That's an option? No. No, not okay. for anyone. Yeah. I uh, I got on the spin bike yesterday. <laughs> oh, my God. Toughest 45 seconds of your life, uh, you, champ? Yeah. Well, I mean, with the 30-second cool down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my legs were like, we know what you did last weekend. <laughs> I had a beer league game Monday night, and it was uh, like a 10 o'clock game, and Chris was like, I'll try and get a babysitter. I feel like it's going to be, but it might be tough. So, like, if I can't get one, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I'm like, oh, there's zero chance I'm going tonight. And she's like, "Like, even if I get a babysitter, I'm like, don't even bother. I'm not going. <laughs> she's like, why? I'm like, I've slept like seven hours over the last three days. I there's The, the meter is on empty. I don't have lactic acid buildup in my legs. I think it's actually just pale ale in there <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were basically um mr Leahy from the trailer park boys essentially Saturday. by the end yeah i was telling you guys it was like um i was very conscious of the decline happening because again game planning the day one of the things that we didn't do well was planning out eating and so i had i had not i had half of a pretty rough turkey sandwich for brunch brunch breakfast whatever it was around noon yeah that, that's probably lunch and then i had some arena nachos and that was all the food i consumed and then the moment we got to the uh the event after party no one would allow me to have my hand empty uh, to have my hand be empty and i was like yeah this is this is gonna go self fast that's why our listeners are great but it, it also was causing a problem because um on the way home i was talking to uh crystal the next day and i'm like yeah, I had a beer in my hand the entire night. It was never the same one twice, and half of them I don't know what it was. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that probably doesn't sound safe. I'm like, with our listeners, it absolutely wasn't. But, uh, you know, rolled the dice, came up uh, my number this time. We're good. Going down with the ship. <laughs> Evan stable did not change at all the whole night. I just had this constant steady buzz. Oh, I was fine. I wasn't. I wasn't glassy-eyed like you were. I always thought that was just like a term, but like looking at you from across the room, I'm like, oh, I can see the reflection from here. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was the exhaustion more than anything. Not that I'm not that you're wrong, but <laughs> it's a combination of factors. Anyhow, conscious, uh, very together and focused for this episode <laughs> of the Wind Wheel Podcast, and here to talk Red Wings hockey. I'm Ryan Hanna. Absolutely none of those things. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we do have two Red Wings games to uh, talk about. The Monday and Tuesday games against Columbus and Dallas. Um, that happened. I think it happened is a good word to describe those games. Uh, and then we have a couple other things around the league. There is the Hall of Fame induction, which I think uh, there's a couple of points there that are relevant to Red Wings fans. And then, I don't know. I always think that it's not worth the time to com just aimlessly complain about the Department of Player Safety, but sometimes it just feels so on the nose. Pun intended. Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, that we have to do it. Anyhow, before we get into all that, uh, we're going to talk about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which, uh, as you'll know, is an organization we're very, very proud to partner with. It's uh, who we supported with the recent winged wheel podcast night at the LCA event. So proceeds from every portion of proceeds from every ticket sold went to the Jamie Daniels foundation. So thank all 407 of you for that. Um, and they have a lot going on right now. November 22nd, the celebrity roast of Brett Hull on Valley sports, Detroit and Jamie Daniels foundation.org. And not only that, they have the silent auction going on as well. So go to that website that I mentioned, Jamie Daniels foundation.org. There's really, really amazing stuff on there. Um, and then speaking of winged wheel podcast night, uh, we have the live episode video and audio up. So we managed to, to get that audio. There's two things that are really cool about it. One, the moment Mickey walks in, I think is still the coolest moment on this in this show's history i didn't hear it live like i didn't notice it live but you, i heard you mention it so i went and listened to that that gasp was loud yeah 
whoever saw him first like really didn't hold back on that yeah a couple of people got screenshots because we were in a glass building and so he when we he walked behind us they would have all seen him before we did obviously yeah. um and secondly you can tell <laughs> we didn't think the live episode was going to be that popular or i don't know <laughs> yeah so we just we were like we're probably only going to record for like 30 minutes and we went the hour and you can tell uh the sunset in the video was like black by the end yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone looking at that video and going man whoever color corrected and brightened this was not proficient in video editing you are right you are very correct but i did my best i did my media mist anyhow jamiedanielsfoundation.org um okay the red wings and their collapses a little bit too much of that these past couple of games years yeah, but you know, <laughs> we like to think that we're done with it. And there is just, I think, a little bit too much of it this past these past couple of games. Let's talk about Columbus first. Um a game where the Red Wings came out to a two-nothing lead. Columbus tied it. Uh Lucas Raymond put them up, and then Columbus put them up late. Yeah. Well five minutes left in change. Six and a half minutes, Close yeah. Enough. And then a couple minutes after that, Columbus just came and started to put the dagger in Detroit. So that was a big general overview, but all in all, not Detroit's best showing. No, that was not a good game for the wings for most of it. They had their moments, um, especially when the top line was on the ice. This is a recording. Um, it was all right. They had Did you just crack your toes under the table. That was my uh, ankle. Maybe. Oh my God. I thought you the are, table was breaking. You all right, man. Oh, I can do it on command. Do it right. Do it right now. Oh, that's, that's my wrist and thumbs. I won't do it. That's bad. Keep going. But um, yeah, it was. Why does it always feel like every Detroit game in Columbus is boring and chaotic at the same time? Every one. It's just like the vibe in Columbus. It's like you go into the third period. This game sucks, but it's not going too badly. And then just all hell breaks loose. I don't know if that's just recency bias or if it's always been that way but I, I definitely get that feeling now but yeah getting to the part you referenced and talked about <clears throat> this is this was a, a microcosm of what the red wings always do in this situation it's happened so often over the last few years it's basically a meme oh the red wings have a third period lead lock it down no more attacking let's just kind of throw a five-man you know, box in the defensive zone and, and just, hey, they have to shoot from the outside only. Mm -hmm. We're not going to score. And of course, or they're not going to score. Of course, doesn't happen that way. Um, Detroit got the lead late, generated one more scoring chance, maybe two of the rest of the game. And one of them was like a bad angle shot by Valeno, which Columbus tied the game almost immediately after. Yeah. That goal was unfortunate, if we're just being honest. Um, Letty and Hironic got crossed up. Both of them stepped up onto a puck at the same time, kind of an I got it, you got it situation, when in reality, only one of them should have went. You could go 50-50, who's more at fault there at that point. It doesn't matter. And then bounce here. Uh, Chinikov tips it, breakaway tie game. Sucks, it happens. There was a lot that game of... Um <clears throat> missed assignments and just like general floundering on defense like just like that like pivot that oh shit i don't have a man but the puck's moving too fast for me to catch up pivot yeah that you see defensemen do that's the worst spot to be in because you don't catch up until the play resets and i found that happened in front of the net too often and like you said on that play where where um Hronik and Letty both moved up on it. Yeah, even going back to the third period of the Montreal game, over the last seven periods of Red Wings hockey, I, I call them fire drills in their own zone where yeah. they just run around. They've had a concerning amount of fire drills. It's not surprising though, right? Like there's the notable things on defense. Like we talk about Cider being unreal. We talk about Hronik having a slump and then coming back and Letty being solid. Like that's all well and good. Those are the storylines that are substantial and you can draw something from them in terms of, yeah, this is something that the team is doing well or something to work on. But wait, when we talk about the defense being bad, like on the left side, whatever, um, that's what it translates into, right? Like the, the fire drills are, or the manifestation of, yeah, this defense still isn't great. It has a lot of learning to do in, in terms of how to be good. And, you know, there needs to be more talent. The problem is a lot of these happen with talent on the ice. The Red Wings are still in that position of it's rare to get five guys on the ice who are all 
quote unquote above average talent wise. Um, no, in the Red Wings defense, they have played a lot of games in a very short amount yeah. of time, which, you know, wrapped up with uh, a back to back here. Obviously, Columbus was the first of those two games, but, you know, they played two days earlier at home. So there was some minor travel involved. And then they had to fly to Dallas the next day, which, you know, whether a fan wants to admit it or not is going to affect the players. Um, again, that's more of an excuse for Dallas than Columbus, but point still stands. Like Detroit's played, what, 18 games? Boston's played 13? Like Detroit's had one of the tougher early schedules in terms of Red Wings lead le- league leaders and games played, baby. Let's yep, go number one in the league. I actually don't know if they're number one, but they're up there. But you know, it's a lot. Some of this is obviously on coaching because you got to teach your guys, you know, don't lose your shit when stuff goes sideways. And that has always been an Achilles heel of the Red Wings. As soon as anything goes sideways, um, you know, that's when the fire drills start. Um, Give Blasio credit, though, um, just to jump to the next game in Dallas when things were going off the rails um, in the second period and they were down big. He called the timeout and the Wings came out like a bat out of hell after that timeout. Dude, whatever he said, that was the most effective timeout in Red Wings history. Yeah, it was perfect. It was the right time. Whatever he said was the right thing. It, it turned the team around. You know, they scored a couple shifts later. And even with Larkin having to leave that game about 10 minutes later, the Red Wings were the dominant team for the rest of that game. It was just too big of a hold to dig out of at that point. Um, So, you know, it works. They unfortunately went through that too late in the Columbus game where he did not have the ability to call that timeout and get everything settled because it happened in the last few minutes of the game. So um, it was good on Blashill to recognize it when it was happening and he could do something about it, but he's got to do a better job of preparing the team for when it happens because they do not react well and have not reacted well to that historically. I think that's the part. I think that's the part that takes time, right? Like we talked about takes, I mean, it's been like seven years, but no, but it takes time <laughs> once you, once you have the personnel. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about the Larkin goal because that Larkin goal came off of an incredible pass from Lucas Raymond, that anticipation, like the turnaround pass, like the puck deflected off him, the clearing temp failed, and and Raymond was able to knock down the puck, incidentally or not, and just immediately turn around and find Larkin in front with just that kind of pass where you're like that. That's what we were talking about when we were like, this guy has hockey IQ. His hockey IQ is through the roof, and that's the kind of play that you make. Phenomenal, like just mwah, perfect. That is what makes players like that special because it's not like he read that pass the second he knocked the puck down from the air because there's not many human beings alive who can pick a puck out of the air and on, in the same train of thought go, okay, now I'm going to corral this on the ice and put it to Larkin there. He knew where Larkin was before he picked that pass off. He knew what his surroundings were. He was His situational awareness was perfect because – you know, he knew Larkin was there, but then the defenseman has the puck, goes to clear the puck. All he has to focus on is get that puck. And now once he has possession with his back to Larkin, he goes, he wouldn't have had time to move. So he doesn't have to look, doesn't have to be a perfect pass in a situation like that. Just turn, fire it. He's still there. Empty net. That it's that that's yeah almost the picture perfect example of what high hockey IQ can do. Was it Mick who was ta- someone was talking about how maybe it was trevor thompson during intermission but they were talking about it's easier for players of raymond's caliber to play in the nhl in, in some respects because he knows when he turns around and fires that puck into the slot or, or pass it to the slot larkin's going to be there meanwhile in the ahl the guys are going to have the the wherewithal to do it i thought that was interesting it's true uh i don't know if that's the perfect situation to describe that um but yeah the, the overall statement is true we noticed it with philip zadina um, when he came up that just he seen more things seemed to be happening for him at the higher level than there was in Grand Rapids because just he plays well off good players. Um, and, you know, passes like that, too, um, with Hosa going into the Hall of Fame, I've actually heard him reference this a lot. You can't give him a bad pass because mm-hmm. he, he can corral anything you give him anywhere. So when Raymond's playing with a guy with Larkin, Raymond doesn't have to take that extra second to put it right on his tape because he knows, yeah, if I put this in Larkin's wingspan. This is in the net. Yeah. So it allows him to just make the play. Like, doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to take that extra handle. You don't have to take that extra look. Just get it. I know he's there. Bang. 
it was a pretty good pass. Larkin didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot to corral it, but even if it was in his boots, that still probably ends up in the net. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is, it does translate in situations like that. Michael Rasmussen scored the greasiest monkey off my back goal that he could have asked for. <laughs> that thing was a howitzer. First of the year. That's how you have to score them, right? Like, however you break a slump, it doesn't matter. And I will say, I, Rasmussen played a lot better the, the past three games than he has most of this season. Not, he's still severely flawed, I get it, but he stressed me out a lot less than he usually does. There's something to be said about confidence. And you think about him and Sedina both, like, coming in with so much pressure for different reasons um, and knowing that they should be producing more, the, the confidence is going to affect their game. I loved his, his celebration. You see his little, yeah, like a like little ironic double fist pump, like, ah, finally. Yeah. It was very evident of him. Yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Michael Rasmussen is capable of, like, expression i think he's he always and this makes me a little sad he always looks disappointed in himself like you can always read his lips when he misses a play he's like god damn it like what the it's um see these are things i need to know then i can relate to rasmussen on a human level <laughs> yeah uh he's always disappointed in himself you're always disappointed in yourself my parents are always disappointed in me it's very relatable yeah, it's perfect this is why rasmussen should be a more popular player <laughs> it's a great point ryan thank you um and then lucas raymond um also got his seventh goal that game. So that was uh, another two point game for Raymond. So it's funny because we just got off, um, got off the heels of an episode. Where we were talking about, he's still producing, but he looks like he's slowed down. Like, is this like where things like kind of taper off? I didn't is he nursing an injury and you didn't agree with it. And you end up looking much smarter than I did. <laughs> Cause I was like, he, I don't think he's playing poorly, but I think I feel like he's nursing something. Yeah. Well, he has that wide, he has that pass to find Dylan Larkin wide open in front and then scores his own goal. Um, Tyler. It was the Tyler Bertuzzi pass. That's right. Yeah. They did, did like a really said, good job to find him at the hash marks. Like I said, Raymond's not the guy who's gonna get the puck and drag it all the way up the ice and undress it through three, three or four guys. Well, he he can, but like that's not his thing. He he finds his spots. He finds his moments. He's the guy who's invisible until he's not, and when he's not, it's too late for the opponent. And then that was the last good thing that happened to Detroit. Um, Igor Chinikov. First goal against the Red... First goal in his career came against the Red Wings because, of course... Yeah. Um, Like, in the last week, what did they had? Pizzetta got his first point against Detroit for Montreal. Chinnikov got his first goal. Fakali got his first shutout. Like, come on. I know this happens to every team, but it sure as hell feels like it happens a lot more to us. Hey, who's that uh, defenseman on Columbus? He was roommates with Dylan Larkin. Don't, don't, don't. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I was trying to get him to say Zach Wierenski. Um, Shinikov scored. Wierenski scored to go up with a, less than a minute and a half to go. And then Texier came out with the empty netter. Larkin said something after the game, which was, we had that one. That yeah. was in our pocket. We should not be letting that game go. We're not that team anymore. We should be closing it out. And that was. It was on the ice in the last minute. Does anyone know? In the last minute? That's not a. That's not a rhetorical question. it was oh. larkin raymond okay. bertuzzi cider okay. okay that's that's all i needed to know yeah, yeah i think actually the best chance in the last minute actually came from cider if i'm remembering it correctly yeah hey baby steps because that didn't happen in previous years where you know <laughs> it's very few situations like we saw Rowney in person and that was actually one of the first times all year where i saw something where i was like i don't really understand that deployment yeah oh and overtime yeah. or just in general overtime yeah um okay so the red wings lost that game tough they probably should have they actually really should have beat columbus um worth mentioning because we didn't mention it hard to look at a box score and see five and then go thomas christ is really goddamn good but he was thomas christ is really good that game yeah um and that's same thing with dallas alex yep. nadelkovich was absolutely fantastic yeah yeah damn you wouldn't know him on the commentary but he had nadelkovich had damn near the save of the year that game that two on one block, you mean that a little bit of a save? <laughs> to be fair, it was hard to see on live. Play. Yeah, he he punched it like a blocker yeah. save hits the blocker. He hit it with the, <laughs> the front of his blocker. He punched yeah, he that saw it. He's away. Like, oh, there it is. Yeah, got it. Yeah. So moving on to the Red Wings' second game here against the Dallas Stars. Larkin's first meeting against Dallas since Jamie Ben's shove was it that they called it? <laughs> That's what they called it on the broadcast. Did you know Steve Eisenman drove? Joe Valeno from Detroit to <laughs> Toronto for his I'll, first NHL game. I'll kick your ass. 
Did he, do you think he drove him to Columbus? Because Valeno was a pretty late call up to Columbus. Probably drove him to Dallas too. <laughs> All the way down. Can you imagine? Well, if they were playing the Leafs, would have known. We would have known. So the Dallas game, you know, we talked a lot about that was Larkin's first time meeting with Jamie Ben, blah, blah, blah. Nothing happened. Jamie Ben, the simple answer to that is there is absolutely nothing by way of retribution, you know, leaning into Jamie Ben, throwing hits a little harder. And I think you just have to look at the Red Wings lineup. Really, for someone as big and as actually, like, he, he is very tough. I You do not want to fight Jamie Ben typically as Jamie Ben. Luke Witkowski is the only answer there. Giovanni Smith could have given him a go. Giovanni Smith could have given him a, a go, but I think, I don't know. Anyways, he wasn't in the lineup either. And the moment you saw neither Giovanni or Luke Witkowski in the lineup, you were like, yeah, that's the- it's just another game. And you know what? That's the right call. The Red Wings at this point going into that game were a team that was that could win any against any team they played. They beat Edmonton. You don't go in and throw away a game plan just to you know, get back at someone who very obviously does not give a shit in Jamie Ben. Um, still, though, the emotional, irrational meathead part of me is like, ah, I would have liked to have seen someone run him. Hey, if they play Dallas later in the season and the Red Wings have tumbled in the standings, maybe we'll get a little more fireworks. Yeah. I didn't want it to be Larkin. Like, I, I, no, it better didn't, damn well not be Larkin. No. But anyhow. I actually uh, could have been Larkin. You got he ended up leaving the game anyway. <laughs> Should have got his money's worth while he was there. So, uh, one of the worst periods I've seen the Red Wings play all year in the first. Oh, yeah. That, that whole first half of the game. It was a 3 nothing game halfway through the game. And I thought, wow, thank God for Alex Njelkovic. In a game where he had let in three goals. Because if it was not for him, it should have been six. The Red Wings were doing nothing. They had, like, essentially one good shift, one or two good shifts. Mostly at the hands of the uh, the Suter-Zadina-Fabry line. And then the top line did something later on. But... The first half of that game, all leading up to the timeout, really, I was just like, oh, this is ugly. This is not good at all. And, and then, then the timeout. And then the timeout. Jeff Blashill, I don't know, had ever said, I have your family in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Don't he, make me tell Mrs. Blashill. Yeah. <laughs> you guys better pick it up or we're making the team group chat public. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Zadina got uh, fed a beautiful saucer pass from Sam Gagne, who I continue to be impressed by. Uh, Zadina. Oh. Wow, man. Can't have any. Yeah. Can't be have any optimism. Christ. Um, and then Zadina had a backhand, which I think honestly should have been saved. I don't know, man. That was a pretty gross backhand. It was a good backhand. But the way Zadina's been shooting, I was like, I'm surprised that. That's went. the one that goes in. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. That, Almost this, not the same as Rasmussen, but same as Rasmussen. You're like, really? That's the one that makes it through. the The law of averages was in play on that for all yeah. the ones that should have went in that didn't. Uh, he's, which means he's probably due for about seven more of those. Yeah, that was the Rasmussen one was important, but the Zadina one was even more. So if he it was can important her, it was yeah more <laughs> even more important her. I think is the grammar. Um, that needs to be something that he capitalizes on, and that needs to be something that the Red Wings capitalized on in that game, which I feel like they did. The energy was pretty high afterwards. Um, and then the Dylan Larkin snipe. Cider to Raymond, uh, or sorry, Raymond to Cider to Dylan Larkin for the bar down snipe that was so nice. No one even really knew if it was in or not on the power play. It was just like Larkin did. Larkin did. Yeah, Larkin did. Um, that's the kind of stuff that people drop in their fan fix for future Red Wings like <laughs> three years ago. And then, you know, the third period. Third period, the Red Wings were the better team. They were the better team for from for the second half of the game completely. Yeah. It's just you can't shit the bed for the first half of the game and then play out the averages for the second half because Dallas had a three-goal cushion. Sometimes a team gets goalied. Sometimes a player gets goalied. Lucas Raymond got goalied in the third period. He had three or four that when with the chances he had usually you walk away with one or two goals in in a period like that and he walked away with none and it happens yeah it's it's, it's hockey he he got a little bit philip zadina there it was altogether a game i like to see from the red wings from the second half onwards they really can't afford those starts to me that's no different than what larkin said with like, we should have closed out columbus you can't open up against Dallas like that and i get it it's a back-to-back you went from ohio to texas like it's not a short distance you switch time zones like Talk it's a rough trip um yeah they walked actually no wonder they were so tired they all fit in steve eiserman's car <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he drives a Prius too. Oh, that's tight. Yeah, those cars. This episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast, not sponsored by Toyota. Toyota, pay us, please. <laughs> um, so I, I get it, but for 30 minutes of the game, you can't be performing like how they did. Alex Nadelkovic, he's he's in the territory where I know he won't because he has the two Red Wings and Zegras and Byram and other guys to go through for this, but he should be receiving Calder votes again. As of right now, the way he's playing, I'm like, ah, that guy should be receiving Calder votes again. He might not have the counting stats because it's the Red Wings and a great game for him. He's still at in four goals. There's a decent chance he'll get some votes because there's some writing writers who like obviously Raymond and Sider are the obvious one two right now. If nothing changes, some people will vote for him just for the memes because I think that's hysterical. I, I would do it. Imagine he's a finalist twice. That'd be amazing. Imagine it's three a- Red Wings is a finalist and one of them is a repeat Calder finalist. Like that's content for years. Has that ever been done? One team locks out all three top There's three no Calder votes. There's no chance. Maybe like back in like the forties. Like I don't know. Did Hal Lindsey and Abel all come in in the same year? <laughs> it's um, the Kraut line, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It. I don't think he's going to get into the, the a serious conversation for the voting, but I think he should. I think he should at least if this continues. If he plays like <clears throat> this the whole time, I don't know. Have you whole- seen Trevor Zegers? He looks good, man. That, Trevor Zegers that is going to make a run here. That OT goal was filthy. Did you guys see that? The, he, I have him on my fantasy team. Yeah. The Jack Hughes stick toss after. Oh, mm. <laughs> love it. So good. Love it. See, this is the only reason I don't feel so bad about my most cider. Like, no, yeah, because we wanted Zegers. Because we wanted Zegers. So yeah. it was, we would have won either way. It's good to be wrong. And it's way easier to be wrong when you're. The thing you were wrong about was still right. Yeah. That said. That, that's the only thing that's keeping my ego like at obnoxious levels. Mo Sider is still Better. above Zegris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that Calder voting is going to be super interesting if Zegris keeps it up, though. Anyhow. What are talking about? Lucas Raymond's got like seven points on him. No, I just mean who's coming in like third. second and third. Yeah. Third. Five goal or two five goal games. The Red Wings need to clean it up defensively, plain and simple. Yeah, you get spells like this over a season, though. It was a really bad... It was, you know, the Red Wings played two, two and a half good periods over two games. That's obviously not going to get it done. But it's weekday games in November against Columbus and Dallas. If there's any games to not overreact to, this yeah. is these are the ones. So I will tell you, they better come out flying in their next game to make up for it. So, Well, the whole game was made worth it because most oh, side Dallas game, yeah. Because Mo Sider went out and absolutely, <laughs> he erased Michael Raffle from the hockey rink. Like he was <laughs> gone. You, he hit him so hard and so solidly. Like Sider didn't move. I that was a, like normally when you see a big hit, the guy throwing the hit will wobble or fall or kind of get jolted backwards. Sider just crushed him and stood there like. No, there was no vibration. Those, those ones hurt body. the worst, bro. Too. Yeah, yeah. Like, and <laughs> Raffle's face just kind of <laughs> stick flying away from him. Like, ugh. I mean, it, if you look at the play, Raffle like just received the pass, head down, like one, two, three, head still down. <laughs> like, have some situational awareness. What what could potentially happen to yourself? And then if you listen closely to the video clip, you can actually hear Sider go, as he fires down the right side. And then Glenn Denning comes in, looks at Sider, Sider goes, no. Yeah. And Glenn Denning skates away. It was a perfect. It's genuinely one of the cleanest, hardest hits I've seen in a long, long time, maybe in my life. I've been thinking recently, Recently, I'm like, I, you know, Sider wants in on this part of the game and it's smart of him to not force it because you don't want to get caught and you don't want to hurt yourself, etc. But he's going to do it. Man. man. This is just the teaser. Trip. Yeah. What an entrance. Oh, man. It was. It gets such a like perfect visceral reaction from everybody, too, because usually like when there's a goal or a big hit, I'll, I'll throw my all caps reaction out and then kind of do a second of kind of like explaining what happened. The only thing that came to my mind when I was typing towards like, oh, Sider just killed the guy. <laughs> did he, were you? Did man you see? Down, man down. <laughs> did you see Brad's Twitter feed last night? Tired. Yeah. Sorry. Bad question. 
tired Brad tweeting has the best content because oh, yeah. just shit posts from Maine <laughs> so hard. I didn't. Yes, I didn't. When I it. hit a level of exhaustion and the the level of fucks that I give is gone. Yeah, yeah. I think that actually improves my content, which your mic probably doesn't bode well on my normal content. No, yeah, it's garbage. You, you, <laughs> you have terrible content, as do as do I, and not Evan. Um, but no, the the cider hit was just. I almost threw my laptop through the ceiling. <laughs> I turned my laptop around and I showed Mel and I showed her the hit. And I was like, that's a 20-year-old kid. He's like, that's a child. He's still a kid. He's not. He still hasn't filled. We talk about he, players filling out and getting stronger. He hasn't done that yet. He, Look what he just did. He can't go out after that game and have a beer to celebrate it. Yeah, no. He was a child among men in terms of age. But he, he was someone's dad after that game. <laughs> The height advantage makes such a big difference in laying those hits out because if you're smaller, like let's say you're miniature, like really, really tiny, <laughs> <laughs> like someone, let's say like Brad's side. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. People have seen me in person that jigs up, Ryan. <laughs> Just like unnaturally short. I really wish the camera was over Brad's right shoulder instead <laughs> because I gave the little eye look to it. Yeah, knew. <laughs> Oh, I knew it was coming. Oh, that was oh obvious from the second word of that. Uh, it's low hanging fruit. I apologize. Wow, that's our nickname for Brad. <laughs> um, oh god! But no, if you were to, if you or I were to throw a hit to someone like equal size or maybe a little taller, you don't have the opportunity of setting yourself and dipping your shoulder down. But Sider is going to do that to so many players in this league, and it's going to be so satisfying to watch. Like I could. If you want to get into the technicalities of it, Sider's form when he throws hits is flawless. Like that every, one was flawless. No, in general. So you see the Cronwells and the Subans of the world who who turn their body. <laughs> oh, we're gonna, uh, which the PK Subban? Oh. Which when you look at most of Subban and Cronwell's hits, like that kind of almost skating backwards type hit, huge impact, devastating effect. But it also usually takes them out of the play as well because they lose their balance and they fall. Give yourself a back adjustment. Cider skates forward. Feet on an angle, so he's got all the support in the world behind him. He can't get pushed backwards. Big knee bend, and then drives that forward shoulder. So he doesn't really fully turn sideways into the hit when you look at his legs. Mm -hmm. And so he's just coming in like a freight train with all his momentum and a very, very solid foundation. Like, he doesn't kill people because he's six foot four. He kills people because he's ridiculously strong and has absolutely perfect form. It's like, yeah, he has four. I don't want to say he doesn't have forward momentum, but the way that hit played out, it's almost as if Sider was a literal brick wall standing and Raffles skated directly into it. Yeah. Like that's that was the transfer of energy. Raffles not a small guy, according to the NHL website either. Like he's 6'1", which is... <laughs> you made him look miniature. <laughs> he's, and he's he's listed at 205. So like that's not a little a little guy. There's a lot there's a lot that's said about like not drafting players just because they're big and you miss out on skill guys. Like of course, we preach that quite often depending on, you know, what the situation is, but I have to say having a big blue line that can do the things Cider does is like it's super satisfying to watch. It's it's different on defense. If you're big and you're mobile, that's a different part of the game. I think that like that's that's unlocking defensemen of the future, right? Yeah, big mobile defensemen because they eat a lot of space in defensive zone situations. And obviously, if you're huge, you cover a lot of ice naturally. Combine that with excellent uh, four-way skating. And and (laughs) there's no part of the ice where you're not a threat. And when you're defending, there's no easy throughs for the opposition. Yeah. Well, bless you, Mo Sider, for for giving us that. And uh, I'm only the only thing I'm sad about is that Ken and Mick didn't get to call that, but yeah. that just means he has to do it again soon. All right, the Red Wings. Before uh, we jump into our next episode on Sunday, are going to have Vegas on Thursday night to late game, 10 p.m. Eastern, and then uh, Arizona. Oh. Yeah, Ari- want to talk about late night shit posting? Fire me <laughs> up, boys! Arizona, 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday to round out the road trip, uh, and then they have a, a little break until next Wednesday. So, um. It's going to be, well, I don't know. How tough of a test is Vegas right now, actually? Um, They're missing everybody. I don't want to say it's a game the Red Wings should win because Vegas is still very good. Well, they just beat them 5-2 like a week and a bit ago. Detroit beat them 5-2. Yeah, so. We'll see. 
We will find out. Can I tell you something potentially interesting? Yeah, please do. The Red Wings have an exact 0.5 point percentage. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the New York Islanders are 0.462. New York Islanders, who we all picked to win their division. Do you know what Arizona's is? They are- I don't even know if you'll get the first digit right. I don't know the... I'm guessing the first digit is zero. Is it zero? No, you're close. One? <laughs> the next one. <laughs> <laughs> one. So I was right. <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes right now are actually on pace through 15 games, which isn't a nothing sample, to be the worst team in the history of the NHL. Who could have thunk it? The worst season ever was, I forget, whenever the Capitals were an expansion team, they won eight games all year. The Coyotes are on pace for six. That's bad, man. It's uh, <clears throat> the full number is point one five six. Jeez! But they won their last game, so it's actually higher than what it would have been. Is that their only win? Second. Oh, they got second two. And they're two. So their 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 projections gone up. They might they be are, the second worst team of all. They are enough. two thirteen and one. <laughs> Dude, that's so bad. Like, if you lose to the Coyotes this year, I feel like. You should be forced to like sit for like two weeks. It's how we laughed when teams lost to the Red Wings last year, two years ago. Well, Montreal, <laughs> losers. Um, okay, before we jump into the next topic, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, they're a sponsor that gives hockey fans uh, something that we really love and need, even more excitement. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Um, they're simple to use, fantastic odds on different betting markets, uh, fun and unique bet types, and when you win, you get your winnings safely uh, back to you in as little as 24 hours. Uh, it's easy to register, easy to deposit, easy to find your bet, uh, your money comes back to you quickly, and odds boosts and specials are constant. Constantly running. Now, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. It's a special offer. Just place a bet on any game and they'll refund you up to a grand back. And if you don't win your first bet, uh, you get that uh, in-site credit. And if you win, you keep the cash. Now, what you should do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. Again, that's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online on, first online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789. 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. Brendan Gallagher, sucker punched Barkley Goudreau in the face. Gotta love when you have an incident where it's a layup for the NHL Department of Player Safety because you had an identical incident earlier that very same season. So, sorry, Brendan. Enjoy your one-game suspension. Oh, Brad, that's uh, actually just 2500 bucks. Oh! Yeah. That feels very on-brand. <sighs> I don't... I saw the I saw arguments trying to extract the smallest margins of nuance and difference. They were like Goudreau sold it. I'm like, yeah, but it's a sucker punch. How did he sell it? He hit him square in the jaw, just like Larkin at Joseph. They were like Joseph was skating away and Larkin was moving in the opposite direction, so there was stronger force. I'm like, you know, you really did, did the Department of Player Safety once cite the vector directions? or the vector, or the velocity, or any of that, of the punch? No, they said it's because it was a sucker. It was the same thing. Look, James, uh, uh, Dolan was right to write that letter. Peros is just so ill-equipped to do his job. I'm not sitting here screaming for Brendan Gallagher's head. I'm sitting here screaming for a modicum of consistency. We agree. Larkin's punch was justified. That, that was a, in both ways. Justified to do in our biased opinions. And that was worth a one game suspension. But then you levy that same suspension to everyone else who does it. I, I don't yeah, I feel like it's worse because Gallagher didn't get hit from behind five seconds before. Like not that there's ever justification, but you can justify why Larkin did it. Gallagher didn't have that. Hey, this guy almost crippled me five seconds before. Like, 
Just insanity. Because obviously, I understand in the game of hockey, it's so fast and no two situations are identical. And there's a ton of nuance in every situation. So, like, not every boarding play is the same because players come at different angles, turn at different times, come at different speeds, your different distances from the boards. I get that. This was a layup for the NHL because it was literally the exact same thing. They could go, oh, sucker punch, player facing them right to the jaw. We had one of those this year. Perfect. If we do that, if we give him a one game suspension, literally nobody can question it because we can just point at the other one. And they couldn't even get that much. There hasn't been a good department of player safety as long as I've been as long as it's existed in its modern form, but Peros has to be the worst one. Oh, it's not even close. At least the other, the older iterations were bad, but they were consistent in their bad. If that makes sense. Like they're at least trying to be consistent. Peros is almost, it's almost like, I don't know. It's like he does. It's yeah. There's a whole team that, that, that feeds into this. It's not just George Peros, but the buck stops with him. It's, Almost like he doesn't care and he thinks we're all schmucks for even think there's any way they could be wrong. I I understand Batman and Paris are never going to come out and say, oh, yeah, you know, we made a mistake or this was bad. But like, I genuinely believe they think they're doing nothing wrong. And it's such it's a spin of the wheel more than it's ever been more than it's ever been. And it's frankly shitty. And you know what else? While I'm complaining about stuff that's pointless to complain about and this is annoying. So much stuff isn't doesn't reach the threshold of suspension, but people are complaining to Peros because too much is being let go on the ice. I don't want every little ticky tacky play to be called in hockey. I don't want every scrum, you know, having guys getting uh, five minutes in a game, but too much stuff is not getting called on the ice. And that's why the, the heat is on George Peros even more. Why don't they just call the rules as they are written uh, in the rule book? Don't be a crazy person. All okay. right. No one likes that person. Because if we called the rules as the rules, that would just give Connor McDavid an even bigger advantage. And we can't have that. He's already putting up two points per game. Could you imagine if we actually called the penalties against him? It'd be chaos. uh, Three points a game. What did Torts say? Nobody wants to see McDavid get more calls. So stupid. It's like nobody but Edmonton fans want to see him get more calls. I do, because if you call them, eventually (laughs) they'll stop hooking him and he'll just be even more ridiculous. Uh, Good players get more penalty or draw more penalties. That's just kind of how it works. When you're better than someone, they have to do something outside the rules of the game to even things out, right? Isn't that just how things work? Again, you're trying to apply logic to this, which makes you a bonafide dumbass. Yeah, no, the the rate at which Connor McDavid draws penalties is not at all reflective of how much better he is Ryan, than everyone around him. we need to make him. sure that both teams have the same number of power plays. What We can't just have Edmonton have 12 power plays and Winnipeg has two. It's a crazy coincidence. We'll just, we'll, it'll just be three and three each. How about that? That's the best I can do. Anyways. Yeah, Connor's got to save for, uh, when he gets tripped for the last five minutes of the game. He's he's skating too fast, too early, and wasting them. Here. Mind you, I don't feel bad for literally anyone. No, no, but it's but shitty for it. the game. I get it. There's rumors of Peros being up for the uh, Anaheim job because Murray resigned because of the whole. Good, please give it to him. Get him out of there. Uh, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, get him was, out. Do you know how peaceful this season's been with Pierre Maguire quietly sitting in Ottawa's front office? been so nice i love it it's been so nice he's build is over he's happy we're happy everybody's happy everybody's Do the same thing thrilled. with peros he'll be happy he feels like he's getting a promotion we'll be happy we don't have to deal with his bullshit anymore everybody wins all right uh this is the one time the old boys club will not work in the league's favor <laughs> <laughs> this is the one time it won't happen well um is there anything constructive to be to to be drawn out of the complaining? No, absolutely not. It's going to happen again, and there will be another complaint. God, do I love it. <sighs> Tries me up the wall. Um, the Hockey Hall of Fame. The A couple former Red Wings in there. Most notably, uh, GM Ken Holland and uh, Marion Hossa. Ah, yes. Red Wings legend Marion Hossa. Who gave him his, uh, his plaque? Nick Lidstrom. Nick Lidstrom. Hell yeah. Did you know that? No, I didn't watch any of it. Are they buddies or something? 
I don't know. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Wait. Oh, I saw Steve Eiserman gave Ken Holland his, which is yeah. somewhat ironic, right? There's something funny about that. I thought that was nice. Here's your Lifetime Achievement Award You're for welcome. being good at your job while I'm currently better at your job than you were. No, but okay. You look at it from a player perspective, like Eisman came up and played quite a bit of hockey under Holland, won cups under Holland, uh, was an assistant GM under Holland, like... It's yeah, literally because they were friends for decades. Like, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was nice. And you know what? I think it was really poignant because it reminds, it should remind Red Wings fans of all the good that Ken Holland did for the team in his tenure. It's very easy for people like me to get too caught up in the last stint with the Red Wings from, let's say, 2013 onwards. But genuinely, we should not lose sight of the fact that everything Ken Holland did before. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, everything he did since 2012 was an absolute disaster. And for the most part, you'd be right. That also still leaves the 15 years before that, that he was the Red Wings GM. So that's a pretty good tra- track record. Yeah, I, I th- if the Red Wings ever get in the habit of building like um, the, a series of statues, what's the Toronto thing that they do? Isn't it like a bench or a, yeah. board, a bench? It's like a hockey bench, right? And they yeah. put like their builders or whatever behind the bench. Toronto should, or Detroit should, uh, Ken Holland should be in there. I know some people have some opinions about, you know, how much Holland, like the, you know, the no cap era and how much he inherited and things like that. But there no. Th- how many other teams yeah. that also didn't adhere to a cap Every when team. he was a GM in uh, that no cap era? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he he won the money fight. Someone still has to win the money fight. That's it's a great way of putting it. It's a can yeah, no. I I and I think it's important to say because on this podcast we're going to be talking for still a long time after this the ramifications of Ken Holland's decisions about the rebuild. Um and in our live episode uh, Ken Daniels was talking about it. He's like these were the decisions, these were the factors that went into you know, when he decided to finally pull the trigger on a rebuild and why he waited and things like that. It's nuanced and often Ken Holland's name is going to get dragged through the mud because of it. And for the sake of remaining objective, I think it's good to kind of celebrate when the nice things happen. So yeah, that's what we're doing with this one. He definitely deserves it. Congratulations, Ken Holland, uh, Marion Hosa, and all the other Hall of Fame inductees. So which Red Wing goes in first after? Zetterberg. How long do you think he'll have to wait? Two years. You think it'll be two years? Well, next year is kind of the double class because there really wasn't one this year because this was the 2020 class, but obviously due to the pandemic, etc. Next year's class is stacked. The Sedins and Luongo are locks uh, as first ballots. Um, Alfredson and McGillney are probably overdue in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, Carolyn Willette and I think it's Megan Duggan are first time eligible. Um hockey players as well so yeah Zetterberg's got his work cut out for him I don't think he'll get in next year even though I would argue for him over most of those players maybe not the Sedins Longo and Gilney maybe not Willette and Duggan too but he'll get in it'll just probably be a year or two later than it probably should be it's not a question though right like nobody can reasonably say that he's not no yeah no it's just he's got to get that year where there's not like eight qualified first time eligible yeah hockey players pavel datsuk first ballot nominee oh he better be for the amount of skill that he had on the ice he won several major awards yeah i i i just have to imagine that the moment he's eligible he's in he has to be he uh i was listening to another podcast months ago and um Someone phrased it perfectly for the generation that's growing up watching hockey now and getting into it. Pavel Datsuk is your favorite player's favorite player. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah, man. That makes you feel old. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Although you do see it more. I, the one that bothers me, bothers me a lot is when you see guys coming in. Uh, Patty Kane was a very popular one. They're like, yeah, I grew up emulating Patty Kane. I'm like, what do you mean? Patty Kane's like 19 years old. <laughs> what are you talking about? I remember there was like a video maybe five years ago, maybe even more. 
and it was something like oh like who do you think is like the best player in the nhl or who's the one like underrated player something along the line or like the most skilled and like the renowned or the resounding answer from the players was pavel datsuk yeah because he was he was you ever think what pavel datsuk would have been like outside of a mike babcock system I don't. I'm not really upset though because no, I love watching him play. No, yeah, but like his, the guy, he couldn't understand him anyway. <laughs> but like no. in a more like open system, obviously his defense would have suffered a little bit, and he was a multiple Selkie winner, and he won multiple cups, so it worked out. I'm not upset about that, but there's a part of me that goes if if John Cooper had Pavel Datsuk for a bunch of years, what would that have looked like in the offensive zone? Fewer Selkies. Way more hundred plus point seasons. Probably a couple Art Rosses. He could have done it. There were there were years where before Crosby really started to peak, I was like, Pavel Datsuk's the best player on the planet. You planet, and you can't convince me otherwise. And even as Crosby was getting there, I was like, Yeah, he's the hot name, and he's the easy name to pick. But I seriously think Pavel Datsuk's still a better overall player. Mind you, those were the years where come playoff times, Zetterberg would transform into a hockey god. And I actually think at those at, at the time in those postseasons, he was the best player. Does it weird you out when Brad does these stretches in the middle? Like he just rolls his neck like I'm sure his, his burner ass. count will have some uh some some statements on it. Yeah, yeah whatever. Fifty or was the time? Stamp? I can't 54, sit for forty-seven. Brad, what are you doing with your neck? <laughs> I can't sit perfectly still for an hour and a half, and you can't make me. We're we are firmly aware of that, sir. That is a day one observation of Brad Crisco. You have enough men. You have enough energy for one point three men. Not this week, I don't. And you're the size of zero. No, I'm kidding. Um, Listen, there are NHL players currently smaller than me. Can you score like them? You oh, could outmuscle Danny DeKaiser. That, I don't know, man. Is that fair though? Right now, like I got two functioning legs. Danny DeKaiser <laughs> stopped Connor McDavid. I stand by my statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, overtime. Overtime. Anything else that we want to? Penguins ownerships getting out of Dodge. Oh yeah, makes sense. I'd be selling too. Mario's yeah. finally cashing out. Hand, bitch. <laughs> 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 Allowed to say that? Oh yeah. You can say that. Yeah, was it the company that owns Fenway Pack? Is uh, which? Hey, that's perfect. Two of the wait. Most is it actually Pack or Park? It's Park. Park. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was very unsure for a second. No, it, it's fitting because uh, two of the most obnoxious fan bases in sports getting together. Love it. It's a match made in heaven. Well, hey, Pittsburgh fans, they've just you know they've had it really rough having to leave the Mario Lemieux era and then come into the Sidney Crosby era. Uh, well, they they had that window in between uh, in which they all stopped showing up at so badly to the point they almost moved them to Canada. But yeah, no, that fan base gets everything it deserves. To Waterloo. Literally to Waterloo. University yeah. have where the land where Balsilli bought the land. Like people around here don't actually know how close then they was built, to getting a team. They built more of their own offices instead of an arena. Yeah. yeah. I thought that's where Rim Park is now. Uh, it was already there. They had bought the land at Northfield and University. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm now that's exactly where that like little about. like commercial real estate park is that's where it would have been uh fenway sports group is also um they own the red Sox, yeah but they also own liverpool our collective perfect the analogy still holds hey (laughs) hey (laughs) watch it uh for the record i know nothing about English football fandom. I just know Ryan cheers for Liverpool, so I know it It fits. You are a Liverpool fan by association. Did you know? <clears throat> Who's Liverpool's biggest rival? Absolutely. We're not doing this. <laughs> um, no, we already, we already, did, um, the go- the Seagulls. Yeah, the, you, well, Brighton. Brighton, Hope, Albion, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm going way off, off subject now, but did you watch the, don't look at the timestamp. You're not cutting this out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, you're not cutting this out. <laughs> I was actually not. I was just looking. <laughs> That's really funny, though. Um, 
Did you by any chance watch the at least any of the Canadian soccer game last night? I the, did. The Mexican team had to play in Edmonton outdoors, <laughs> and the wind chill was minus twenty seven. No Someone, wonder they lost. Someone's already done up a Canadian heritage moments of the guy jumping into the snowbank after the goal. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was a Canadian player who was in shorts and just a short sleeve jersey with no like no. bare bare exposed skin i was like that is a man who who you do not get in a fight with that's the, the guy at the was bus wearing, stop was like, like it's not even that cold i'm still wearing shorts the yeah it's got was, birkenstocks on there's yeah. six feet of snow <laughs> the goalie was wearing gray sweatpants and what looked like just like a hoodie yeah he is <laughs> every fine. man's man yeah <laughs> dude the um the athletic shorts and long sleeve like sweater that's that's all I wear all winter. Yes, that is what I call my uh, working attire. Yeah, that's uh, I'm taking the trash and recycling out to the curb. Yeah. It was hilarious to see yeah. because the po- I, I've God bless those Mexicans and their fans who actually oh God. players had to play and the fans sat in the stands. Anyhow. I just thought that was hilarious. To, yeah. to talk about. Hey, well, Canada now number one in the Concacaf standings. Look at us go. I'm I'm waiting with bated breath. Italy has to go into a playoff for a World Cup. They might miss it. I did hear about Again. that. Man. Imagine a world where Italy's out and Canada's in. Yeah. We haven't it, made the World Cup since before I was born. Think about that. Italy winning the Euros and then missing the World Cup would be wild. All right. Let's jump into overtime here midweek episode which means overtime is completely patreon exclusive uh, again we've changed overtime so if you haven't seen those changes uh, check out the post on patreon outlining it essentially we are going to be doing overtime in two phases we're going to read out some questions uh, during the main episode and we're going to be answering the rest during a patreon exclusive overtime as a way of keeping up uh, show quality and making sure um, that evan's blood sugar doesn't get too low um cody stark i thought this is an interesting comment saying i'm so sick of dump and chase hockey so crazy how they start scoring when they go the possession route the greatest red wings teams of the past 25 years were possession style teams especially when the russians and swedes came to town almost like having the puck is a good thing yeah yeah it was hard-hitting analysis on the wingville podcast what was the hallmark of of uh, babcock's best years in detroit just keep the puck at all costs because it's way easier to reset than having to win the puck back and then reset so it is ours until we deem otherwise um chris kenny says keep up the great work boys love the pod i'm curious who do you consider to be the red wings biggest current rival and any predictions on which team it will be in five years biggest current rival it's hard to have true rivals when you're bad the last few years of the red the wings, draft lottery yeah that is their rival <laughs> that is the correct answer yeah the last few years they were competitive it was very obviously tampa but then uh those two teams went in different directions um it doesn't feel like it's there with toronto doesn't feel like it's there with boston maybe montreal Maybe. I feel like it might be like a very outside shot might be. Wait, are we talking about current? Current. Oh, then no one. Yeah. But in future, I could actually see Ottawa making a lot of sense. Based on trajectories of teams, timeline, age, if it all goes well, Toronto. Because they're a younger team. Their window is going to be open for a while. Uh, At least three, four, five more years, which is when Detroit should start coming up. Um. You know, the original six rivalries there, the geographic rivalries there. Um, if the playoffs shake out in a certain way, I could also see it being Florida. Florida would be a tough rival to have. That team's going to be good for a while. Or they should be, at least. I don't know. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, let's t- <laughs> see if comment here from terry let's talk clint benesh's comment calder trophy uh if the season were to end today i think we'd be hard pressed to say that raymond and cider weren't at the top how far behind in points would cider have to be from raymond to remove him from number one so we're talking how good does a defenseman have to be in terms of points to oust a well-performing forward it's close now because raymond's what five points ahead Mm -hmm. 18 points versus 13 
probably still give the edge to cider, but this right is, now, yeah, mm. um, it's close. So I think we're right around that line right now. That- Voting lately has been pretty all over defensemen, so I feel like there's going to be some. Not that it makes any sense, but there'll be people who just like, oh, this should be a, a forward should win now. Yeah, they're weird. Just uh, because they've had too many A's on their Scantron, they're like, it can't be A again. I, well, I was so bad for that. A, I fell for it yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah. A, I mean, Cider won Rookie of the Month for October. He's got the edge right now. That is true. Raymond's a year younger. Don't, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it should. It doesn't. You That's like Panarin and Kaprizov. Yeah, remember when 18-year-old Connor McDavid had a remarkable rookie season and 24-year-old Artemi Panarin still won the Calder? I think, I don't think it should disqualify people, but I think it should matter because I think it's impressive. It should, but it doesn't. Impressive for Raymond to come in and to be having about the same impact on the game as Cider has any given night, if not more. And he's a year younger and substantially smaller. I think that's hard to do. I'm not dead set. Like, if you made me pick a thousand times, I wouldn't pick Raymond, you know, 100% of those. But I don't think it's – I'm not confident enough to say it's clear-cut side over Raymond right now. It's not, and that's that's what I mean. It's right on that line. Okay, let's say Raymond finishes at 70 points. How many points would Cider have to get to beat, to beat him? He'd have to be tickling 50. You you don't think four you would be good enough? I don't think so. seventy for an eighteen year old, uh, nineteen year old rookie would be pretty damn historic these this day and age. All right, um, let's move on. Max one million dollars says I don't recall Larkin having a particularly good shot. Not an awful one, but just not that good. Maybe it's just recency, but I feel like Larkin's shot has a little bit more zip on it. Uh, has it improved or do you think just surrounding him with more elite talent has helped? Um, we talked about it in regards to the draft, but I guess it does apply to current NHL players. The easiest skill to improve is sh- your shot. You can spend a summer just obsessing about your shot and completely turn it into a 180. We saw Lucas Raymond do it recently. Larkin's just a bit behind the curve, but yeah, you you can really overhaul that in a summer. So um, I'm not surprised that Larkin's shot developed a little later but hey it it is also a touch a product of getting more time and space because they can't cheat towards him every time like they used to be able to in the past because you know when Bertuzzi and Raymond are on the ace as well (laughs) you got to be conscious of everybody so it does give Larkin a bit more space which allows him to lean in pinpoint it a little more it helps but no his shot is noticeably better than it was a couple years ago uh and this Comment here is actually a topic that I had in the notes and we just completely skipped past. So we're going to cover it now. Um, Jeff Blashill's third period playbook mentions that uh, Larkin is in COVID protocol. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. After two periods in Dallas, uh, Larkin did not show up on the bench for the third, did not play the rest of the game. We were like, when did he get injured? I spent a lot of time looking through game tape, figuring out when he got hurt. I looked at every one of his shifts in the second period. I was like, He's fine. I don't see anything wrong. Uh, yeah, he tested positive. Well, they said he first they announced he left because of COVID protocol. And then uh, Frank Cervalli, I think, was the one who put it out this morning that it was a positive PCR test that came in late. So he had tested in the morning. The test wasn't ready in time, I guess, for the game, whatever. Um, came in late, so they pulled him out. So Feels like getting it ready before the game should be a priority. Should be. I understand I don't know. I don't want to get into like testing standards and how often it should happen. I'm not completely familiar with everything that happens internally. I understand the, the the testing standards are a little bit more relaxed if you're fully vaccinated. Um, But yeah, I think a bare minimum was, should be that if you have this test, you should know the results before you take the action that you were testing to clear for in the first place. You mean like getting it before you go to an event and then, being able to use that same test to return, even though you have greatly exposed yourself to many vectors of infection. Something like that. Can't relate. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, so an awkward time for the Red Wings. I, we still have to see how this shakes out for Larkin. And not just that, we have to see, you know, if this was a false positive, if this was a situation where something actually got passed around. Um, who else on the team test positive? I mean, Ottawa has games postponed right now. 
So anytime this comes up, you're like, you have to hope beyond all hope that the impact was minimized here. So um, just something to monitor and keep an eye on. Yeah, apologies for missing that earlier. I think we were just so excited about the Mo Sider hit. That's what <laughs> that's what took over this episode. Okay. Apparently, Ottawa has a bunch of false positives as well. So that's probably pissing off a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sure they're thrilled about it. I don't know. Uh, and then the last comment here, Sam W says, how did you miss the perfect opportunity to make fun of Evan for pulling up, a, uh, pulling a straight up Bergeron at the Marriott? I don't know how we missed that, that connection. Catherine this morning's like, where's that coffee mug? I was like, which one? She's like, <laughs> she's like, one? you know, the black one that you always use for coffee. I was like, I lost it. <laughs> That's all I said. I, I left it in. I was like, I said, I left it in the hotel. That's you did say which hotel? Oh, no. hotel. I'm I'm messaging her. I was like, I left it at the hotel. I am straight up snitching. Yeah, I am absolute. The first well, when Brad and I come over for your hot tub party, that's when we'll tell her. Did uh, Elon sell more Tesla shares? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, let's pick a date that you and I are free, and let's just go over. Evans, tomorrow, you're free tomorrow. Yeah, I'm. Full, I am booked until the end of twenty. 31 perfect he won't be there that's even better yeah yeah hell yeah i want you i want him to be there out of the hot tub <laughs> yeah I, very yeah. small window of time that's that's happening we we should coordinate with cat to just like let us sneak in at 100%. one point and then he's just gonna you know stroll on into the backyard after a long day ready to relax and there's just me and you <laughs> sucks out. for you because Catherine hates socializing more than i do we won't have to talk she to doesn't her. have to actually talk to us just tell her to leave the gate unlocked is pretty much all we have to do <laughs> nope man all right i'm hopping a fence yeah <laughs> Let's go I, I was gonna say that's what's gonna happen here we're gonna have to do that fast i'm quickly losing my athletic ability um okay we're gonna wrap up this episode of the winged wheel podcast we're gonna be back with you on sunday and the plan is to have a fun interview on sunday We've uh, been planning it for a little while, so uh, hopefully it's one that you all enjoy. So in the meantime, we'd like to thank all of you for listening. Um, uh, the sponsor of this episode, the FanDuel Sportsbook, our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, um, Kyle Kragitz, <laughs> Nick Perks, uh, Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, Brendan M., Brutan- Carl Brutan and Anilewski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Clayton Van Dyken, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Fluyi McShuey, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Shea Lobsinger's number one Stan. Stacy Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Ass, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yeltsin, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, who's a new name level sponsor, welcome Logan, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Michael Alsante, MJC, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. See you Sunday, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.